You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that they might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let me pray. Father, we come before you this beautiful morning in late March of coming together as God's people and anticipating in just a few weeks that great Passover week. Lord, we are thankful that each and every day you are there with your mercies new and that it is always good to be in the house of the Lord. No matter where we have come from this week, no matter what our week has held, you are there. And so this morning, we ask you to give us eyes to hear, eyes to see, and, and ears to hear, and hearts to understand your truth. Lord, it is in your Son's name and by the power of your Spirit we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I need to begin with a confession. Um, a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, we have started live streaming our services and uh, excited watching Bill lead the team through all that. Now all three campuses are live streaming, so if you're ever homesick or with a sick child or out of town, man, you can hop on our website and you can watch everything live and then we archive them. But uh, somebody was home last week and uh, they were sick or a sick child, and uh, so I need to confess something that I left my mic on and you could hear me singing. So I'm sorry for that. Because uh, there's a lot of things that the Lord has given me and a lot he has not. And a singing voice was, I was not in that line. I, I was in line for something else. But I did not get that one. But I heard you could hear me. Because the greatest fear is you leave it on and go to the bathroom. But uh, singing is, for me, ranks right up there with that. Uh, but this morning, we're going to hear a very familiar message from Paul. Over the last nine weeks, it's hard to believe that over the last nine weeks, we have been hearing a familiar ring. And it can even start to sound a little repetitive. But we have to remember actually why that is, because what's at stake? You know, someone's house was burning and there were people inside. You wouldn't simply just walk by and one time yell, your house is on fire, get out, and then keep walking. No, you're going to stand there and you're going to yell until everyone is out safely. And I think that's kind of what Paul has been doing over and over again. Because what's at stake is the eternal souls of men and women and children. They're at stake and Paul is yelling over and over again a warning. You know, it isn't the amount of faith that we have in things you can have faith in a lot of things and it isn't the amount of faith you have it's what your faith is in that counts so if you're just joining us this morning I know we may have several family members in I want to give you just a quick recap of kind of where we have been 
So the Apostle Paul traveled through Galatia, southern Turkey, and he established several churches, and he preached a message that says the only hope, the, the singular hope you have of finding favor and being reconciled and justified before God is only through faith in Christ, nothing else. It's his perfect life of obedience, his substitutionary death. It is his glorious resurrection. That's what we are to look to and to trust in. And the great thing is many heard this message and they believed it. Then their lives started changing. But after Paul leaves, some false teachers come in and they begin teaching a counter message, a, a false message. It's a message that would say, Yes, if you really want to be a Christian, I mean, if you want to be a 100% Christian, really what you must do is also keep the law. You need to be circumcised, follow our Jewish dietary laws, follow our customs of the Jewish faith. Really, in short, you really need to become a Jew, and then God will look upon you as favor. I mean, haven't you heard? We are God's chosen. Don't you want to be one of us? They were saying that, yeah, you kind of begin by faith. Man, that's great. We have faith. But then you really need to do your part. I think the modern day version might be God helps those that help themselves. Paul can't believe what's happening. And Paul even writes to them and he says, who has bewitched you? It's almost like someone has cast a spell over you because you're acting crazy. And so what we saw last week, he writes to this group and Paul does uh, something brilliant. He, he's so intelligent, so smart, so witty that he takes them to think about someone they all admired. He takes them to Abraham, someone that they looked at as their patriarch, that where they began and where they get their identity. He says, well, let's think about Abraham. How was he and when was he reconciled? When was he looked upon favorably in God's eyes. And what he slowly shows them is that Abraham was declared righteous before the law was ever given, and even before he was circumcised. So therefore, how can we then expect Gentiles to become Jews when Abraham was declared righteous before any of that actually takes place? So this week, we're going to hear that, that shout of warning to the Galatians from a different angle. Today, what Paul is going to talk about, I would wrap up as false assurances. You know, you're familiar with these. In fact, you've probably given some, and you've even received some false assurances in your life. I'll tell you about one I dealt with. Marla and I were newly married. We'd moved to Denton, um, living on our own for the very first time, um, three and a half hours away from our family up there, you know, trying to figure this thing life out. One day I'm at work and I get a call. Marla is frantic. Uh, a lady had pulled out in front of her and Marla just T-boned uh, her car. The, uh, totally the other lady's fault, but by God's mercy, both of them were okay. And So I get the call from the lady's insurance agency. And for you insurance agent, I'm not talking about you. Uh, this is one person... No one else. I have no one else in mind, I promise. Many of them are great people, honest, God-fearing people. So this is what they tell me. They tell me, you know what, Mark, we want to make this right, and we want to make it as easy on you 
as possible and with as little hassle to you. And hey, I'm all for that. Now, I probably should have sought some advice, but if, if you're not a firstborn, we don't like to ask for advice because we think we can always figure things out. Uh, we even look at asking for help as a sign of weakness. So I thought, no, I've got this. So I took their assurance that they had my best interest in mind. They told me they had a great relationship with this body shop in the next town in Louisville. So if you'll just take it there, they'll take care of it. You won't have to worry about a thing. We will send them the payment. You won't even have to do anything. So I took it in, and uh, a few weeks later, get the call. The car is ready, and uh, sounded like a great plan to me, and I couldn't believe it. Picked it up, and it was like almost like a brand-new car. I mean, I, I think they even painted the whole thing. I mean, it looked great. It hadn't shined like that in years. Well, that lasted for about three days. Three days later, I get a call from Marla. She says, you're going to have to come get me. Uh, there's just smoke just pouring out from under the hood. So I take off work. I go find her. And uh, we're looking around. And just up the street's a mechanic shop. So I thought, man, if we could just get there. Surely God's going to send an angel and something's going to happen to fix our problem. So we uh, let the car cool off and start it up and let it creep along the road, got it there and kind of got out and began telling the mechanic what had happened. I told Marla I had this wreck and insurance agent called. I took it to this place. They said I wouldn't have to worry about anything. And a, a smile began to creep up on this mechanic's face like he knew something I didn't know. Well, what had happened was, he, we put it in the bay, he looked at it, came back out, and he said, here's your problem. car looks great. But when your wife ran to that other car, what happened is the radiator got smashed up against the fan and the engine block, and they simply straightened it out. And I thought, okay, sounds like a great plan to me. I know nothing about cars. He said, well, your radiator has all these little grooves in it that allow air to come through that allow your car to cool down. And when all those are smashed flat, it's not going to work properly. So what I learned is that sometimes assurances can't be trusted. Now I know that's a, a small little example of the effects of false assurances, but Galatians is God's reminder that we're in constant danger of false assurances. They're absolutely everywhere. It was true of the Christians in Galatia and is just as true for us today. The Christians of Galatia, this is what their danger was. They were in danger of believing that if they followed the Jewish customs laid out before them of diet and circumcision, it would gain them favor with God. Really, it was up to them to bring their salvation all the way to completion. They were in danger of a false assurance. But I, I look at our day and time, and I think we are just as in danger of something similar. I am concerned that I think many of our churches are full of people that do not realize that they are actually holding on to a false assurance of something. And I don't know exactly where it comes or from one thing or another, but it, it seems like that Satan is constantly working to tempt us into thinking and feeling that because we use God talk, or because we come to church, or because we get baptized, because we pray before meals, because we avoid gross sins that then we're right with God. So we all need to listen to this message that Paul's going to give in Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. And I think we need to look at it with a spirit of humble self-examination. 
are you trusting in something false? So let's open up our Bibles or on your devices to Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. It says, For all who rely, putting their faith in, standing upon works of the law, are under a curse. So their false assurance was simply relying on the works of the law to make them acceptable before God. And this is what Paul has been shouting over and over and over again. And the Judaizers, they come in behind Paul, and they bewitch these Galatian believers into thinking that it was keeping the law that would bring them God's blessing. You do these things, then God is required to be on your behalf. But we still fall on this today. I, I know I do. We might obey one of God's commands or we might think because we come to church or because we tithe that deep down we are really doing this to make sure we keep in God's good favor or in His graces. But Paul says, do not, do not believe this false assurance. It will only lead you to destruction. If you think keeping the law is going to bring you ultimate blessing... He says, you're mistaken. It's actually going to bring you under, do you see it there? Under a curse. But what in the world does Paul mean by this? Because remember, the law is good. The law is there for a reason. How can obeying the law that God gave them, how can it actually bring a person under a curse? Because the law is good. We are to obey the law. But how then can obeying the law bring you under a curse? Well, I think it, when we look at this, it's how then can keeping the law, what should happen, and how does that bring us underneath it? What Paul is saying, it is not the law that brings curse. It's not the law. The law is good. But it's your works or your obedience to the law, if you think that is what makes you right before God, Paul's about to show us, man, you are so mistaken. You're actually coming underneath a curse. Because remember the law? The law I used it a few weeks ago. The law is like an x-ray. I told the story a few weeks ago that a year or two ago, I broke my finger. And uh, sitting in that room, I could hear the doctors, the PAs talking about who was going to come in and reset my finger? They thought it was dislocated. I'm thankful that they took this picture of my finger that showed them that it wasn't dislocated. It was actually broken in two places. And so that x-ray saved me a lot of pain and discomfort. Because the last thing I needed was somebody grabbing a hold of that, my finger and trying to move it around back into place. But the x-ray, it was good. It showed the doctors the real problem. But the x-ray is only a diagnostic tool. The x-ray itself, that beautiful little picture that's so cool with the bones in it and everything, that could never fix my problem. I mean, it'd be ridiculous for me to show up to the surgeon, getting ready for surgery and saying, you know what, doctor? Hey, I got this picture. Man, this is all I need. Every day I'm going to study it. I'm going to believe that this picture can fix me. I mean, it would be ridiculous to do that, but it's so similar with the law. The law could never fix our problem. The law was to guide, it was to show the Israelites their problem and need for something outside themselves to save them. 
But I still haven't answered the, pro- the question. I, I know, how is it that the law, if it's good, then how can doing it actually bring you under a curse? Well, look at the second half of verse 10. It says, for it is written, cursed be anyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So what Paul's doing, in fact, in these, what, five verses... He's going to quote four different Old Testament passages. This one is found in Deuteronomy. Do you remember the story of Israel crossing over the Jordan? God told the leaders to go get some stones and to build this pillar, and they were covered in plaster, and they were then to write the law on these stones to to live as an example, as a picture, as a reminder of God's perfect law. Well, there's part of the story that, that often gets neglected. In Deuteronomy 26 and 27, God told six of the tribes to go stand on Mount uh, Gerizim. And he told six of them to go stand on Mount Ebal. Now, Ebal was a very barren mountain. But uh, Gerizim was one that was very lush, very fruitful. And he had them stand on these mountains. And then the priest read the, the curses that would happen, things like, I would read these warnings. Curses anyone who does not honor his parents, uh, who is dishonest with his neighbor, who takes a bribe. And then the people would reply with their amen, meaning we agree with that. So as they're standing on this mountain, Deuteronomy 28.1 reads, Then and... If you are faithful to obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commands, I command you today, the Lord God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. So here's Paul's point. To stay on the mountain of blessing, you must keep every single command, every single one of them, all of the time with perfect motivation. But if you break just one of them, you're cursed. And so Paul is saying that if you're going to rely on your obedience to gain God's blessing, you are actually coming underneath a curse because you don't get to pick and choose which of the laws you're going to keep. You must keep them all, all of the time. And so if you're going to try to live up to that, he's going to show us you're fooling yourself. You're never going to do it. And you actually are coming underneath a curse because you could never do it. And since a person cannot keep them all, all of the time, then trying to do them is only going to bring you curse. It could never. Your obedience can never bring you the blessings you are after. But relying on your good works to bring you God's blessing is a false assurance. And I want to show you why. So Paul's going to give us the assurance that you can trust. Look at verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Meaning no one can keep it. No one can do that. For the righteous, for the righteous shall live by faith. So since no one can keep all of the law all the time, then no one can ever be justified before God by the law. It's impossible. It's a false assurance. To be justified before God, to be right in His eyes, to be reconciled with Him, requires faith and not works. But, but remember, faith is not a work that you and I get to take credit for. Instead 
of living in our own strength and in own power. It says we are to live by faith. So here's what Paul does. He quotes another Old Testament passage. He's got in mind Habakkuk 2.4. For he says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. And that's what it does. When we are living in our own power and own strength and thinking and looking at what we do, it only can puff you up and give you pride. For it is not the upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Meaning God's faith. That is what you are to go after. So what does this phrase, shall live by? Because what does it mean? Because Paul wants to make sure that he is making sure he is crystal clear that they understand he is not saying it doesn't matter what you do. Because Paul's going to have to deal with that in Galatians and uh, Romans and other places that people hear this and they say, Paul, it sounds like you're just taking off all requirements and you're letting people go do whatever they want. Paul wants to make sure that is not the understanding. He is not giving them a permission to go and live their lives as they see fit. In fact, he'll go on to say, keeping the law is good, but shall live by. This is what this phrase means. Shall live by means to set your life, to set your life on something. Or maybe to put it in a question. What is your life based on? What are you relying on for happiness and fulfillment? Whatever we live by is essentially the bottom line of our lives. What gives us meaning and confidence and joy. And Paul is saying that you can go and you can try to live by your works, but it will fail you. It is only by living by faith in Christ. Stake your life on His to bring you meaning and purpose Enjoy, because it's the only thing that will never let you down. You set it on yours, you will fail. I mean, I want you to know how this so hits home with me. I mean, I, I struggle with this often that I find myself relying too much on, on my works and my performance, first of all, to make me happy, to give me purpose, and even acceptable in other people's eyes. Because what happens when our identity and our purpose and our acceptance, when, when we're looking for that in our performance, it can only lead to anxiety and insecurity because I know I can never be assured that I've done enough. I can never be sure that what I've done is even good enough. I might think it's great, but what do they think? I might think I've done the right things, but I'm not for sure if that's how God sees it. And anxiety and security begin welling up in me. And then I find myself being oversensitive to criticism. And, and there's certain things that happen when I find myself living in my own strength and power. But in those rare moments, when I'm reminded, it seems like, that my assurance that I'm accepted by God and, and others not based on how things that, that I might do or, or my performance, I'm reminded that I'm called to be faithful and not successful because we set that success and, and I've got to reach it and I've got to do these things I've got to make sure everybody thinks well of me but God's called me to be faithful and the success is up to him and then I'm really looking at this and begin thinking okay that's the place 
I need to live in. Not setting myself up that, that all of my happiness and all of my security and all the things that people might think of me is based on my performance. But I'm faithful in watching God then hopefully work. You can almost begin to feel the curse being lifted. Now we are not to live under the false assurance that we are accepted by God and even others based on how well we keep our house or how profitable our businesses are or how exceptional our children might be in school and, and other sports. We are to live. We are to live under the true assurance that God accepts us based on faith, not our works. Because look at verse 12. But the law, that, that law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them, if that's the road you're going to go down, then you must live by them. And so what Paul does, he, he holds up two options for us. One leads to blessing and one leads to curse. One's going to lead to being reconciled with God and one will lead to being alienated from Him. One leads to be accepted by God and one leads from being rejected by Him. One option it is going to lead to those beautiful words that say, Well done, thou good, and here it is, faithful servant. The other one, we'll have to hear those dreaded words, Depart from me, for I never knew you. One is true and trusted assurance, and one is false and hopeless. And Paul says, Your works... Your works could never be good enough. Not your best work on your best day in your best moment could ever be good enough to move God's needle of approval of you. True assurance is found only in relying on God's work on your behalf. And that is how we are accepted. Not based about what we do, but what Christ did in our behalf. Because here's the truth. One day... One day you will either stand behind your performance or Christ for God's approval of you. And only one can lead to blessing. And here's the best part, verse 13 and 14. So he's laid out the, the what's the answer? How do we move from underneath the curse to blessing? He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, once again, Old Testament, Cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that they might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So the law brings with it divine curse. Not because it's bad, but because there's no way we could ever fulfill it. That's the only thing it can bring you. Because the law had to be perfectly kept. Since no one could ever do that, then the law can only bring curse. The law cannot fix your problem. It is only reveals the problem. And the problem is your and my sin. So when Christ redeemed us, when he ransomed us from the curse of the law, Christ actually had to become that curse force. And here's what Paul is doing. He's quoting Deuteronomy 21, 23. It says, His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him on the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. 
You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is bringing you for an inheritance. And so what this was referring to was the Old Testament, what would happen in their time, an Old Testament criminal, when he was executed, they would gruesomely be displayed on a stake or a post to show God's divine judgment on that person. When you would have to walk by after that execution and see that body hanging there, it was an example of God's divine judgment on that person. And so the fact when the Jews saw Jesus dying and hanging on a tree, that is why it was such an obstacle for them. Because they saw his crucifixion as a sign of God's judgment. They always would, and you always will, until you see the curse that he is bearing is yours and not his. He didn't die for his own sins. He had none. But he became a curse for them and for us. The way to escape the curse is not by works, but by his. He has redeemed us and ransomed us and set us free from the curse of the law by perfectly doing the law and then becoming the curse for us. And that's why his life is just as important as his death. He had to fulfill the law perfectly, but then he also had to become the curse for you and I. So we are no longer have to rely on our works to make God love you and accept you. But isn't that the day we live in? I mean, we live in such a time that it's our performance and what we do that keeps us in people's graces. The minute you mess up, it's like people are done with you. The great news is, well, that's not God. So the question this morning then is, what are you living your life by? What are you counting on to gain God's approval? Because there's a lot of assurances out there. But there is only one assurance that can be trusted completely. That assurance is laying hold of Jesus Christ personally. There's no merit or work in it. It is only faith. So here's how faith in law works for us. The law exposes and it shows us our, our sinfulness When we look at the law, or you could say God's standard, we should see this and we should be truly see how sinful we actually are. That we are much more sinful than we would ever dare to admit. Because no one wants to do that. And every time we are faced with the law and God's standard, we should be challenged to relearn the gospel over and over and over again. But here comes the beauty of the gospel. When the law shows you how sinful you are, the gospel shows you how gracious and glorious God is. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.